Welcome, everybody. It's Theology Thursday. It's Andre standing in for Mike, and I have a special guest today. Good, good to speak to you, um, and uh, yeah, looking, looking forward to this conversation. Thank you so much, genuinely. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're you're super busy um, at Oak Hill. Um, I just let's introduce you because I, I I know who you are, and you're yep. like a super celebrity now. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I'm, my name is Dan Strange. I am the director of uh, Oak Hill College, which is a, a, a seminary in London. We train uh, men and women for. Christian ministry. I've been there for 14 years. Uh, I'm the director now, but my, my background is in well, originally in systematics, so um, the area of Christianity's relationship to other religions. I did my undergrad and PhD on that, um, what happens to the unevangelized. Then I worked in student ministry for UCCF um, for five years, just with theological students. And then since 2005, I've been a lecturer in culture, religion, and public theology. Um, written a few books, um, but now my day job is kind of directing the college here. Married to Ellie, seven kids. I'm an elder at East Finchley Baptist Church, which is a small Baptist church in North London. Yes, which I've uh, had the privilege of, of of being to, which is because uh, we right. did the cultural exegesis assignment uh, with yes, you guys. Yes, so that was a while ago now. Yeah. It was yeah. a while ago. How are things going with the church? Yeah, yeah, good, thank you. I mean, it's the challenges of a small multicultural kind of uh, uh context and you know the wherever you are um north london the the, the soil is hard and um yeah. people uh are resistant to the gospel and um yeah it's trying to be creative and innovative with the people that god has given you um it's you know what it's like it's all life is here it's just very real church life which is great when you're kind of at a theological college and it just keeps you very grounded in the realities of what kind of everyday ministry is like. There's no chance of a kind of ivory tower syndrome when you're when yeah. there's two elders being your two elders in the church. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and you have a it's it's a strange setup, isn't it? Because don't you have like one of the highest paid or the, the most expensive postcodes in the world or something, or in in the UK or something like that? Oh, it's just, yeah, I mean, the church is on a very kind of um, the county's road, but then, we're, you know, we're on the doorstep of two council estates. So, uh, yeah, um, it's a strange yeah. setup. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's difficult. I, but I mean, my I, I, I always um, I enjoyed that was a fascinating experience doing the kind of interviews on the street of what people actually believed. And it's weird for me because when I was growing up, everybody believed in God. Nobody believed in aliens. Now, everybody believes in aliens and nobody believes in God. That seems to be the major turnaround. And yeah. everyone was absolutely certain that uh, not, when you die, that's it. But also absolutely certain that there were ghosts. So, like, yeah. I didn't really understand how that kind of thing worked out. But, um, yeah. Well, I, mean, it's just, I mean, it is just, you know, uh, I'm sure some of your listeners will have read some kind of Charles Taylor, Jamie Smith. And it is, it's is—it's a very good analysis of the secular is haunted and you know, for all of your hardcore new atheists, the, the average person, I think, is not willing to just put that kind of imminent frame on and not realize to close the dome. People are looking for transcendence and yeah. uh, they see it or they want it all over the place. And, and in some ways, that's what um, my interests are in terms of lecturing at college. How do we um, connect with people like that and talk to them about Christ? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so I, I really appreciated the lectures that you did on that, actually. It, I, when I was doing O'Kill, when I was studying there, I basically had just started as an assistant pastor, just, you know, had like three kids while I was there. So I was barely getting any sleep. And it was a real struggle sometimes to stay awake during the lectures at O'Kill. But I, <laughs> I have to say that uh, your lectures were among the easiest to stay awake in. I developed all yeah, kinds yeah, of strategies. Yeah. No, it's good. Yeah. Do, you, do you know, when I think of you, I think of like an evangelical Russell Brand. <laughs> oh, man. Is that meant to be a compliment? <laughs> I, I think, well, I don't know. You can take it out. you want. That's just generally the, the picture in my mind. But yeah, I mean, Russell Brand, I quite, have you ever listened to his podcast? Uh, yeah, a little bit over the years. Yeah, he's also he's also a massive West Ham United fan like myself. Uh, so I, I've seen him. I've seen him at matches occasionally, uh, but we've never been mistaken for each other. But um, I'll kind of take it as a half compliment. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Um, I also picked up a book the other day. I had no idea it was written by you, but it was a book on Karl Barth. And uh, I see that you're one of the editors or something like that. Engaging yeah, so with Barth. Yeah, so I did this with a guy called Dave Gibson, who's a, a Presbyterian minister in Aberdeen, and we used to work together at UCCF. And uh, when I was, yeah, I mean, I had a kind of a, a complex relationship with Bart in terms of, um, I, I come from a kind of a more Vantillian uh, presuppositional apologetic tradition. Yep. And there's, yeah, there's quite a lot of discussion on on Bart. And as an undergrad, I'd, fi- I'd found Bart very helpful. But then as I moved on and thought more about it, um, I'm um, less content with uh, uh, yeah. his theology now. And this book was trying to get a number of, of essays uh, on Bart. So it's meant to be for evangelicals in a kind of meant to be a kind of constructively critical, irenic um, discussion of Bart. I mean, it's, a, it's a probably 15 years old now. But um, yeah, it was good, good fun. And there's some really strong essays in there. I especially think about Mark Thompson from Moore College, who's written a very good essay on Bach's um, exegesis. Okay. Um, that, that's one of the essays that, that stands out. But there's all kinds of others, including one from my late boss, the late Mike Ovey. Ah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I had a similar relationship with Bach because I, my first degree was, was liberal. You know, when I studied in South Africa, it was just yeah. totally it was all Schleiermacher and Boltman and Moltmann and you know it, it was it was nothing the only the closest we came to anything evangelical was Karl Barth so to me he was like this radiant light you know in a in a very very dark dark world yeah, and so I, I've always had the and also I don't know if you've ever read like his his um his exposition of the is it the Apostles Creed um, yeah, a while ago now, but yeah, it's like yeah. really warm and moving. Like there's a lot of passion there, so I loved reading his stuff. But then, like you, also like began to realize there's a few, <laughs> a few, I mean, I, a few issues. And again, there's a lot. There's a lot of kind of a tribalism and personalities around kind of uh, Bart and evangelical relationship to Bart. I know that you know Van Til um, spent more time trying to con- critique Bart than anyone else. And I know okay. that Bartians, Bartians find that very distressing but I'm, I'm pretty persuaded in the um uh, some of your readers will know in the john frame book van till the theologian i still think his chapter on van till um view of bart i think is a very helpful chapter where basically van till has this idea that um bart is kantian in terms of um yeah and and and, and liberal in a kind of a, a classic sense and that i'm, I'm sure that sends um, people who are sympathetic to Bart into kind of yeah yeah all sorts paroxysms of, of anger, but um, let's bring it on. Let's totally. have a conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, cool. Well, um, uh, 
man, you've written you've written a few books, and they're all worth talking about. I really want to talk to you about the the one you wrote previously. I think it was the the previous one. The their God is not their rock is not our rock. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that that was a book on um, trying to understand what is the relationship, theological relationship between Christianity and other religions. And it's meant to cover all kinds of areas, exegesis, theology. Um, and that was a kind of a bigger, more academic book with Apollos about three or four years ago. Um, and I've been teaching that that material f- for a while. Yeah. Um, I think what prompted it was I did my PhD on the unevangelized, looking at a guy called Clark Pinnock, who was an openness of God, yes. who yeah. had a more inclusivist view. So I'd spent quite a lot of time looking at the issue of salvation, soteriology, and their rock is not as our rock is saying, okay, apart from soteriology, what do we think about the relationship? What are the religions? What are they? Yeah. What is their relationship theologically? And the book is trying to um, explore that historically, exegetically, theologically. And there's a chapter at the end about what's the purpose of other religions from a kind of a, a more reformed perspective. Um, so, yeah, that book was a, a kind of a labor of love o- over many years. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased. And I'd still stick to most of what I say uh, there and it was meant to be a more i think i was frustrated that um uh, uh, there hadn't been a, a large reformed substantially reformed theology of religions that got into the real nitty-gritty um of uh, detail and analysis and that book's uh, uh, trying to do that yeah i i i would i think it'd be good to if you're if you're willing get you back on the show to talk about that one but you've just got a new one out which is the one we want to talk about today um and it's done so it tells a bit about it and it's done quite well so far hasn't it yeah it came out in um two days ago and it's already kind of the uh, kind of on the bestseller amazon list list um so it's pleased main i think mainly because tim keller's written the forward and you, the tim it, and tim keller's forward came out yesterday on a okay. gospel coalition blog so i imagine that's what okay that's sparked it yeah okay you've got I'm some you've got some great endorsements on it though yeah good yeah get a british and um and american so um, i um I, I i desperately try to get one because it came it, it officially launched on the first didn't it and then i yeah. uh amazon doesn't doesn't sell it till the fifth because they don't have any or something like that yeah i, I think they must have they must have sold out which is like it's insane high. that's insane uh, but i have to say so so the book's called Plugged in, is it? Yes, yeah. Plugged uh, in, connecting your faith with what you watch, read, and play. Now, okay, so it's it's about engaging with uh, with culture generally, but specifically the things that we enjoy through media. Yeah. So this is where our two parts of the conversation link together. So in the book on other religions, there's a kind of a theological anthropology or a method that I think is a, a, a substantially reformed method. Um, and all this book is trying to do at a much more accessible level. So the book, this book plugged in is not a, an academic book. It's meant for normal Christians to be able to engage culture, but it uses the same theological anthropology and method. And what I've tried to do is move it from looking at other religions to just the fact that we are all religious. And we all have objects of worship. So that's where some of the, the, the Smith stuff comes in. Um, and so what I've done is it's not just, it's a, a kind of a theological rationale for cultural engagement. But I think where the unique selling point of the book is, is um, a course that you would have taken, Andre, uh, that I've been teaching for many years, which is a cultural analysis course, course at Oak Hill, where I get students to write uh, a theological exegesis of anything they want to in culture. The, this book plugged in, um, I've uh, blatantly, with permission, of course, taken some of the best essays to use as worked examples. So there's one on 
Um, so the idea is, is that as a Christian, how do we theologically with with the spectacles of scripture, how do we look at the culture with, with which we're engaging? So there's a chapter on adult coloring books. There's a chapter on zombies. There's a chapter on Japanese toilets. There's a chapter on bird watching. Um, and again, the, the example that I use, which is current, and this is why I go out of date very quickly, is looking at last year, it's coming home as a kind of an anthem in the British culture in terms of the Football World Cup and what that song. And the idea is, is if we can start as Christians exegeting culture, for our own discipleship and for evangelism and apologetics and culture building, the book is a real how-to. And I think that's the thing that people have liked about the book so far. It's trying to be really practical to say, look, you can do this um, and you should be doing it. So my, my dream is people will buy the book and they'll have kind of plugged in parties in their churches where every, every month they could come and say, I've been, I've been engaging in this and this is how I want to kind of analyze this using the steps that are in the book. Okay. All right, so you don't answer the question, can a Christian watch Game of Thrones? I, I do. I have a chapter on um, can a Christian watch dot, dot, dot. And, of course, okay. the answer is going, and, of course, the answer is very complex. Yes. Um, yeah. That's an interesting chapter. And I, at the beginning of that chapter, which is in the middle of the book, I say, I bet this is the first chapter that you're reading if you've just bought the book. People yeah. People go straight away. Um, what I try to do is, this was, it was interesting, I did some teaching at um, the Keswick Convention a few years ago on the solas of the Reformation, and actually what I try to do in the chapter in Plugged In is to say what, how we answer that question, can I or should I watch? Let's put it through the prism of the five solas of the Reformation. So it's almost a kind of a checklist. So we go through, and um, at the end of it, then um, you know you need to work out with yourself and the Lord and, your, and your, those that you're accountable to whether you can or should be watching those kinds of things. It's certainly not straightforward. It, se it seems to me that a part of the conversation about, about this whole thing is um, a kind of a reaction against the, the sort of pietism or, I don't know, kind of the hangover from fundamentalism maybe still in some parts of even, you know, where it's really strict. You can't watch this, you can't do that, you can't own a television. You know, yeah. the, the kind of thing John Piper does but doesn't teach, if, the, if that makes sense. You know, like he doesn't own a television, but he doesn't necessarily say other Christians shouldn't own a television. Yeah. Um, and I, I think mean, a lot of Christians, I was listening to another podcast um, by a Lutheran guy named, oh, I've always forget his name. I listen to it like all the time and I can't remember his name. Jordan something, okay. Jordan, Jordan, you don't know. Okay. Anyway, so that, that podcast. Okay. Uh, I can't even remember. <laughs> it's, uh, okay. I can't even remember. I do this do every problem. time. Oh, okay. anyway, the, the, the listeners will know. And um, he was saying that, because uh, somebody wrote in and asked the same question, he was talking about this, that there seems to be a big reaction, like a pendulum swing the other way. No, Christians can do have the freedom, yeah. you know, um, yeah. and there's a kind of uh, there's a kind of a truth in that, isn't there? But um, yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, think, I don't. Do you engage much with that? In the yeah, no, I do, I do, and I think it, again, it's the the the, the workings, be the theological workings behind the book. I hope are quite substantial because I think my background as a theologian, that the book is kind of the tip of the iceberg, but underneath there's a lot of thought. There's a lot of thought as as to a theological anthropology. I think it's always um, there's lots of things going on there. I think if you ha have a different view on culture building in general, so I am committed to a more kind of um, transformational view in terms of culture building and the cultural mandate not being abrogated. And in Christ, we are to take up that cultural mandate um, um, and influence due. So if you're into culture building, 
then obviously you will be engaging. I think, um, but I still take a lot. I mean, I do talk about um, the importance of um, not being a stumbling block, fleeing from immorality. And, you know, I'm, I'm as um, committed to say, you know, John Piper has this great thing where, you know, we shouldn't be doing anything in our engagement or in our discipleship that wants to take the spear and ram it back into Jesus's side as if his death didn't matter. I'm very aware of that. At the same time, we need to be we need to show how retreat is just bringing idolatries with us because I, you know, sin is not out there; it's in the heart. And mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. being subtle about what cultural idolatries are that are very subtle. You know, beloved, keep yourself from idols. As I say in the book, idols don't come up and with a tattoo on the head saying I'm an idol. And what I try to do in the book is give some examples. For example, this might be another subject for another podcast another time. I've done some writing for Thamelios on the issue of sentimentality. I think we're a very sentimental culture. But that's not the classic power, sex and money that we often deal with in terms of idolatries. Um, And so so I think there's a lot of of stuff going on there. And part of it is to do with just some differences of... um, eschatology and as i say you know all of us i think who are evangelical or reformed we're all kind of now and not yet but some of us are more now and some of us are more not yet yeah yeah and the other thing the only other thing i'd say and i liken it in the book is even if you don't even if you don't um, want to enjoy contemporary culture our friends the people who we love are drowning in it and if you want to pull someone out you've got to be prepared to get your kind of trousers spattered and I'm, I worry that we have to engage, and we're naturally engaging anyway. I mean, it's naive, we're not. Um, so there's, there's lots of things going on here. I just think we need to recognise how far back people are, and if yeah. we want to connect the gospel to them, we've got to spend time, just as Paul did, you know, wandering around people's o- objects of worship. That's what he does, so we have to do it. Well, I, I, yeah, and I think it's really timely. I think it's really timely, and I only half joke about Game of Thrones, but it is—it's it, a hot topic at the moment because the latest season is is uh, about to launch, and so I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of stuff going on in social media about Christians and and Game of Thrones and that kind yeah. of thing. And well, I did another—I did the kind of um, uh, James James Carey and Barry Cooper who who have a podcast i did there and again that's the first question they asked i mean i i am happy to say i do not watch game of thrones i've never watched a copy of game of thrones there's some some things on netflix especially i would love to watch me and my my wife and i start watching them and then we we we're not not able to i think in the book i try and you know there are some things like common sense conscience there's kind of circumvention there are you know that we can use the fast forward button but my thing is when you spend watching something and you're spending all your time on the times 30, is it, is it worth watching it on the, in the first place? Um, yeah, I, I, it's a, it's a difficult one. I, the other reason I, I'm really glad I was really excited to see that you're writing it was because I just, I think all of us have dealt with really superficial Christian thinking on this before. So part of the concern yeah. is how we reach the world. But the other, the other concern that I've had mainly is that the way Christians have thought about it just seems to be um, very, very superficial and very harsh, very hardline uh, with not a lot of complexity. Yeah. And I, yeah. I have friends, I mean, uh, I have friends who are into sort of like heavy metal and stuff and have been dealing with this their whole Christian life. Like Christians should not be listening to heavy metal. Um, I personally, I don't know why, but I sort of, I sort of like the, the, 
the darker stuff, so the gritty stuff on uh, on television. So it's not just stuff on Netflix, but I don't know if you ever saw Ripper Street, um, which came out on on it's like a BBC show. It's, it's like, I, I was aware of it. I strangely missed it. But, um... Um, yeah, well, I mean, I you see, I loved it. I love Peaky Blinders, you know, and yeah. uh, and and stuff like that. It's all a bit more gritty. I think I don't think I'm I'm unusual like that. I think that's quite trendy at the moment. And I have my own ideas yeah. as to why that is. But um, as a Christian, yeah. I've often sort of grappled with why is it that this stuff is more appealing to me than this, the, it, you know, it's a slight caricature. Well, it's a major caricature, but I, like the Disney yeah. Bambi stuff just doesn't do yeah, it for yeah. me, you know. And I just, I yeah. think if I'm going to watch something, it has to be something that I feel um, engages something with what life is actually like. Yes, and I, I think we, we always have this... Um, as Christians, we're, we're wanting to uh, engage with or describe two poles, I suppose. On the one hand is the reality that we even, you know, we live in a sin-cursed world. We live in a world under curse. There is a reality there. On the other hand, we have hope. And so we're not nihilists, but we're not kind of, this is not the new heaven and the new earth. And so you either have saccharine kind of things we engage in or things that are kind of nihilistic. And I think that we, we are pulled in, in, in those directions as Christians as well. Um, I think one of the frustrations, because I am, I, I am wanting Christians to build and construct culture, um, that, you know, my worry sometimes is that we engage with the stuff that other people are doing. Why aren't we, what, we need to set the agenda. We need to be doing our own things. We need to be producing our own art and our own literature and our own culture building. That's very important. Um, Okay, so let's let's talk about that for a moment. Like the the yeah. whole idea of building and constructing culture. So, uh, yeah. how would that? Uh, so, what exactly do you mean by that? And I how mean, do you I'm, see that differing yeah. from yeah. from other views of Christ yeah. and culture? Yeah, so I'm happy to call myself a kind of a, a transformationist, a kind of a one kingdom model um, believer, which I think takes into account. An anthropology, and this is where I've been influenced by, um, I mean, the Dutch Reformed tradition especially, so yeah. um, Bavink and less so Kuiper, but more more, more Bavink um, and others. And then um, uh, just recognise, and again, re- more recently, the work of people like Jamie Smith. I mean, I've got questions about some of Smith's work, but I think the anthropology in places is helpful. The idea that we are always being either formed or deformed by the, our objects of love. And there is right. no neutrality. There's no neutrality. And um, that uh, I do, my biblical theology is such that I do believe that, as I said already, the, the Great Commission is the fulfillment or the republication of the cultural mandate for this kind of, you know, inaugurated eschatological age. Um, and so... Uh, Christians, the the, 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 the the local church has a specific function in that mission. So in terms of what is the mission of the church, in some senses, I don't really talk about it like that. I think you have the church gathered and the church scattered. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the church and the pastor, especially me teaching at the seminary, they have a specific job to feed the troops when they come in every week and they're hungry, feed them up by the word, administer the sacraments, send them out for their mission, their God-given mission, to take every thought captive for Christ, right? Um, and my view of my that's where my view of Christ, union with Christ comes in because I think works done in Christ, our good works, the fruit of righteousness, are 
new creation acts. There are, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. And yeah. um, um, so, so far, so far, what you're saying though sounds or, or seems to align very much with my understanding of a two kingdoms view. So where's where's the difference? I mean, apart from maybe the the cultural yes. mandate and the and the the Great Commission, which I kind of yes, see as running alongside yeah. each other. But I think I think uh, the difference is, and you know, I teach a course here on public theology where we spend a lot of time talking about Van Drunen and Klein. I know a favourite topic for this. Yes, podcast. yes, yeah. Don't don't say um, anything bad about Klein, please. This is my first oh, time I'm, hosting. I'll get kicked off. <laughs> for another time i'm i'm not persuaded by the client intrusionist ethic at all okay, but okay. i think van june is the person that i engage with i think the difference is and this is why it's two kingdom versus one kingdom i do not think there are these two separate territories and i know in van june and um jesus is lord overall um but i'm less persuaded by natural law I'm less persuaded of his exegesis of the Noahic covenant as a kind of a common grace covenant, which gives that kind of preservative. Um, I, I, I don't think I, yeah, I think um, Van Drunen would say that in Christ, the cultural mandate for Christians has been abrogated. I don't believe that. So I do think there is a positive construction. It's not just a kind of a preservative on based on that natural law. Um, and but for all those reasons of idolatry and the heart, and um, I think the key thing, the thing that I, I, I want to, in both what links together my book on other religions and this new book, is this model of subversive fulfillment. Um, mm-hmm. And it might be helpful for me to explain that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, go on. Then. Yeah. So it's not my term. It was adopted by a missiologist called Hendrik Kramer in the early, in the early 20th century and at these big mission conferences. And what happened was that you were having people saying, well, um, what's the relationship between Christianity and other, other religions? Is Hinduism and Buddhism, are they stepping stones to Christ? As in, is Christ the fulfillment of all the, all the culture's longings and um, needs? And Kramer says, and I think there's a bit, you know, there is a quite strong Bartian influence in Kramer. Kramer says kind of, no, Jesus is not the fulfillment. He's something completely different, but, if you want to use the word fulfillment, why don't we talk about the term contradictive or subversive fulfillment? And I've and he only mentions it once. And I've kind of, as I say, yeah. I've taken that little phrase and I'm trying to build a career on it. Um, and the key, <laughs> the key thing, and this is influenced very much by Herman Babink's nephew, a missiologist called J.H. Babink, who yeah. I think is one of my, my favourite authors. His yeah. Church Between Temple and Mosque, his book on religious consciousness. I mean, all, my, my life's work is just to try and popularise and make him more accessible is this idea that the gospel always both connects and confronts with every culture. And that kind of eats through the kind of should we engage or not, because um, the gospel always connects and it always confronts. And in the book, in um, Plugged In, and I do it at a much more kind of detailed level in lectures and other writing, looking at 1 Corinthians 1 and Acts 17, you know, let's take the 1 Corinthians 1 passage. The cross is complete foolishness. It, the cross is co- a contradiction. It is everything the opposite of what the world says about wisdom. And yet Paul still talks about two different ethnic groups in 1 Corinthians. Jews mm-hmm. look for power, Greeks look for wisdom. Jews are not Greeks. So there is, in the, in the technical term, there is a social imaginary that Jews have or a social imaginary that, that Greeks have. And we preach Christ crucified in a way that Paul ends the passage by saying Christ is the power of God. He is the wisdom of God. So the idea is that the gospel both confronts, the cross is 
completely the opposite of what Jews and Greeks are looking for, but it also fulfills their aspirations because Paul says Jesus is power and Jesus yeah. is wisdom. Yeah. So as Paul wanders around Athens looking at the objects of worship and says, people of Athens, I see you're very religious, it is a recognition that there is a point of contact, that we are all religious beings, we all mm -hmm. have an object of love, we're all worshipping something, and so our job is to... Um, in our discipleship is to make sure we're not following idols and we're being magnetized by Christ. On the other hand, it's to tell people of the futility of their idolatry and to, um, in repentance and faith, for them to, to turn around. So the subversive fulfillment idea for me is, is, I mean, I know people say, you know, there is no magic key, there is no golden key. This is, for me, unlocked um, the theological anthropology to say, yeah, the gospel connects and confronts all the time. And what I tend to find is some sub- Tribe. Some 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 evangelical tribes are great at the connecting. They're not good at the confronting. Right. And some are great at the confronting and not good at the connecting. Right. Yeah. Paul says, you know, we need to do both at the same time. My experience is that Christians find that quite hard to do because we have to listen to the objects of worship, and then we have to say, how do we, in a um, a sophisticated, natural way, connect and confront the gospel to this? And if you only have a very narrow reductionist reductionistic view of what the gospel is it's always going to be a kind of a very gear change crunch gear change to get to jesus where actually paul gets to jesus in a very kind of sophisticated way um, um but he's still proclaiming the gospel at the same time yeah yeah no i think i'm, I'm actually preaching on corinthians this sunday so that was fresh in my mind and uh and it's, it's, it's irrefutable he is seeing i guess you could say seeing the gospel as the subversive fulfillment of uh, the Greeks' desire for wisdom and the Jews' yeah, desire for yeah, for yeah. power. And I, and, and I think some people, and this has been the criticism of some of my work before by some, has been that, well, isn't Paul speaking against kind of uh, this kind of sophisticated rhetoric? And I don't think that's what Paul's on about at all. You know, Paul takes the time. The great thing about Acts 17 is it starts with Paul basically being violently ill over the idolatry scene. It ends in repentance. Yeah. But, the book ends of idolatry and repentance, which are always there, because idolatry is always against God. Between those bookends, there's a very intentional engagement with the culture. And as I think what's important is we need to maintain those bookends. We are calling people, again, in the Jeremiah 2, it's applying to Israel, but how much more to those outside. We're telling people, look, you're, you're trying to drink water from cracked pots, stagnant water that can hold no water. And we want to show them the fount of living water and there's always a there's always a connection and so what i'm trying to do in this book and then and and, and teach other teaching that i'm doing is just saying if we put the biblical spectacles on and have eyes to see we'll see that people are being religious all the time people who have absolutely no time for jesus no time for christianity but they are religious and it's the confidence this is one of the great things about Bavink, jh he says when I enter into a when I enter into a conversation with a non-Christian, they're already in a relationship with God. They're suppressing the truth. They're responding to God all the time. They're in a dynamic relationship, um, and all we are doing is bringing in, you know, another um, Jesus's call to them in a relationship they're already in because of Romans one. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And I, I find that in, encouraging. I think people don't know where to start, or they think, oh, people have got no time. But you know. I've just come back from Word Alive conference where I did a, a series called Magnetic, where I'm trying to take this material and develop it and trying to show how 
there are basic questions that all human beings ask, what Babbitt calls magnetic points. Um, and I've set up, a, I set, I set up a, um, an email address and people have been sending me in. Now they've given, I've given them the tools. They're saying, yeah, I read this article the other day or I saw this, I saw this David Attenborough program and I can see how this connects. And that's what we need to be doing. It's, it's training ourselves to think religiously about our so-called secular culture, which isn't religious. Um, but I mean, I don't know whether it was whether we were off air. I can't remember we were on air. But this idea that you know, people are very spiritual. They're looking for things all over the place all the time, and it's um, it's a great opportunity for us. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. Well, I think that's that's probably a good place for us to to end. Is there like a final word? Um, obviously, people should go out and, and get the book when eventually Amazon gets hold of a few more copies. Um, but uh, so the book's name is called Plugged In. Yeah, plugged in, connecting your faith with what you watch, read, and play. It's um, it's only oh, it's not very expensive. It's 180 pages. It's not very long, and I would just say read it and then you know start looking using some of the tools that are developed in the book to go and you know look around. Where are the objects of what you know? Jews look for wisdom. Uh, Jews look for power. Greeks look for wisdom. Where do your non-Christian friends, what are they looking for? And how can the gospel confront and connect with that? And how can you keep yourself from idolatry? We're, always, we're either being formed or being deformed. And right. uh, that's, that's what we need to concentrate on. That's brilliant. Okay, well, thank you very much, Dan. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Andre. Great to, great to speak to you. And um, yeah, great. Thank you. Okay, cheers. Mm-hmm.